And when God begins to do something, and, and try to set it up here, um, it's often said that, that God wants to birth something into your life. Um, and much like, like uh, a pregnancy, um, when God begins to do it, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not like it just ha- happened. Something begins to, to build and, and, if you will, grow inside you. And then after the process, God births a vision. You know, he can birth the business. He can something, you know, it, 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 it's a, a period of time. And in Genesis chapter 16, we see a great story uh, of, of how God wants to birth something, but because we are, are free will individuals, we, we can either choose a path of flesh because we feel God has birthed something, so we take, our, our, we take it into our own hands, or we can just really trust God through all the trials and the uncertainty and take, take that step of faith. But everything that God bursts in you is going to have two channels. You're going to have to decide if you're going to take the faith channel or the flesh. In Genesis chapter 16, it's, and, and I just want to read the first sentence there. It said, Sarai, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. Father, we thank you. We love you and we're careful to give you all the honor. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would birth in us a vision that is yours and that we would grab a hold by faith. I ask that you would move in our lives and our hearts and change our, our thought process. Let us think more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think of some of the stupid things you did when you were desperate. After saying all that, I said this. Now, now, if you've never done anything desperate when you, and never uh, done anything stupid, then you probably should be called Lord and Savior. But for the rest of us, we can probably have a, a, a vast file to look back, a database that we can roll up and, and, and list uh, some of the things we did when we were desperate. Now, I couldn't imagine some of the stories. We don't want to, we don't have enough time. Uh, unfortunately, I see a lot of Christians whose behavior is no different than those who don't know God when they're desperate. They make poor choice. The choice messes up their lives. Messing up those around them. It affects them. So many believers, their behaviors and morals on Monday through Saturday are really no different than those that don't even know the Lord. Four, four things I see, pretty, pretty common, uh, that, that, that some believers will do, and, and it just sets their course on a direction they would rather not go on. But because they've made that move, it's got to play itself out. Your actions create a number of reactions. So this, this afternoon, I hope you will make up your mind to remember and to avoid such kind, types of moves. I have four of them in mind, but I'm only going to probably have enough time to cover two. 
But here we, we see, and it begins with Sarai, Abram's wife, hadn't yet produced a child. And that's what every woman wants for the most part. There's, they want a child, a little baby. Something, something about, you know, when, when, and I, I've seen it happen where a girl says, oh, I don't want no kids, and then they go over to a friend's house, an aunt's house, who just had a baby, and they hold that baby, and something happens to them. They get baby-itis. You know, when a woman holds a baby, it, it flips them. They go, I could do this, right? And so, so every woman eventually uh, longs to hold a child in their arms. But here, Sarai's inability to conceive children was a very real pain to her. As we enter this story, Sarah is 75 years old. All human hope of conception is gone. 75. Right? In her desperation, she tried to create something. She wanted a child. Right? And some of the schemes we cook up as desperate remedies for our problems can even be worse than the problems themselves. And what I've seen with believers now is they allow their fleshly desires to overrule good sense. Genesis 16, let's keep reading in, in the second part of verse 1. It says, she had an Egyptian maid named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, God has not seen fit to let me have a child. Sleep with my maid. Maybe I can get a family from her. Now, I guess in that culture that was cool, but I don't see no homegirl in Colorado Springs saying that. They go, you touch her and I'm killing you. Don't go to sleep, Amen. But here we, we see the story. And what Sarah proposed was that Abraham take a second wife. In this case, a much younger slave woman. And have a child through her. No one knows exactly the age. But she was probably half the age of Sarah. Sarah was 75. Right? Again, it may, may, may sound strange to us. But in their day, it was accepted in the culture of Canaan to have multiple wives. And they didn't do it out of love or anything, but m when they did these wives uh, uh, like that, it was mainly out of business or treaty. It had no affection. It was to secure lands, to, to secure peace, and to have treaties, and they were able to do that. So in essence, the women were just another product. And some, some historians said, no better than a cow to the men of those days. So it's not a bit, it, it, it's sort of sad, but this is how they treated him. So surrounded by this, he goes, take my slave woman, a barren woman, huh? Today could have children through what we call today a, a surrogate, and basically that's what she was. But this woman, in order for it to be lawful, would actually have to become Abram's wife. In verse 3, so Sarai, Abram's wife, took her Egyptian maid, Hagar, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as a wife. Abram had been living 10 years in Canaan when this took place. The things Abram and Sarah were plotting would not raise an, an eyebrow among the community. Yet Abram and Sarah, at this moment, were abandoning their faith. So they resorted to their fleshly understanding than the faith. See, because God had promised Abram that your seed is going to be numerous. I'm going to give you a seed. 
And Abram more than likely told his wife because she referenced it. But for some reason at 75, it hadn't happened. So it's impossible. So they, they had decided that God uh, forgot a, a detail and needed to take things into their own hands. Huh? Anytime we give up on a promise of God and resort to our own means, we are doing exactly what they did. We want to help God along. We want to move things along, right? We are letting our desire overrule good sense. Why? Well, we have this thing called the flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, the flesh. You know, that old man, mankind, sinful nature. Now, we need, let's think about what the flesh or what the old man really is. That word old man, the flesh, is paleos, which means antique, not recent, worn out. So the old man is worn out, tattered, tore up from sin. The old man. And it's the old man that struggles with the new nature. That, and that struggle can directly be related to the sin or the sinful nature. There's battle going on. And if we sin, then that sin becomes a struggle itself. So our sinful nature continually struggles with God's way because God is trying to change our ways. He wants to build faith. He wants us to be people of faith. And when he builds faith, you've got to understand that he will put you in a situation that is un, it's humanly impossible. That is not a fun place to be. When he puts you in a situation, when you have your faculties, your mind, your thought, but nothing you have, nothing you can do can change the situation because he wants to teach you faith. See, people say, I want to walk by faith. Oh, really? People don't want to walk by faith. They want to walk by checkbook, their bank account, their retirement. Faith means you trust God for everything. Well, here, seeing that there was no way they could have a child, they struggled. Huh? Your sinful nature then begins to set you up for deception. Because the devil ain't going to come to you in a pitchfork and horns. He's going to come to you real slick. Huh? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 17 reads like this. These men are springs without water. Jesus, uh, the, the, uh, Peter's writing. And mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. See, Peter's addressing people that were preaching, and, and the newcomers were coming in. He goes, and, and they're trying to sidetrack you. And how do they sidetrack you? They, 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 they tempt your sinful nature, your, your de desires. They begin to tell you, you can do this, you can do that. And so he's struggling. He said, these guys are blocking in the heart. Don't, in other words, don't, you got to watch out for them. They entice people. So that's how the enemy comes, with sweet words. You know I love you, baby. It's nice words. See, very few are chosen to struggle in the spiritual realm, right? Because most Christians... Because we don't, they don't took, take discipleship serious, your fight mainly is in the flesh. The old man, not the devil. Your fight is mainly with you. Very few get out of that fight of themselves. When you do, that means you've jumped to a level of discipleship 
where you've died to Christ, you are no longer your own, you've given everything else, and now you're really into discipleship, now you can step into the spiritual realm. Until then, most Christians, I would say 90%, are just simply fighting with themselves. So what are some of the things I've, over the years, you know, I've been in ministry 35 years, and these are true things that have actually happened. A wife, faithful to God, and to her husband for years, frantic for his attention, aware of her aging body and fading, fading physical attraction. She throws discre discretion to the wind and has an affair. How many times has that happened? A Christian man, tired of his unsuccessful search for believing uh, a woman, finally gives in and marries either a non-Christian or a woman with dubious faith that really isn't faith at all. But we've got to take things in our own hands. The Christian teenager, exasperated by the, the apparent inconsistencies in their parents, rebels, starts taking drugs and sleeping around. Now, this would be one thing if it was just something I made up, but these are actual cases of people. See, the world around us considers these things acceptable ways of coping. That's the hard part. What I just described is, what's wrong with that? The world says, well, that's how we do it out here. But we're in Christ, we're walking, and we're supposed to walk by faith. Right? But the world says, no, no, don't worry about it. After all, we deserve to be happy. You should be happy. You deserve it. You can always find a friend at the office or at the school to tell you you're right. Just do it. You can always find somebody to agree with you. You have it coming. You deserve to be happy. See, words sound so convincing when you feel desperate. Well, don't they sound good? See, at these moments, the church seems to be so out of touch, and the world is so attractive, alluring, and appealing when you're desperate. Because they're out there. The enemy's slick. The enemy of your soul is very slick. He puts it all out there. See, no one sets aside the Word of God without consequence. You have to understand that. The Word of God is our truth, is, is, our, is, our, is our, our barometer, it's, it's our, our true north. Without that, we don't, we're just aimlessly walking around. It keeps us from wandering too far off because we're all going to make mistakes. Hello? We're all going to make mistakes and we're going to wander off. But at least if we have the Word of God, we know, hey, well, I'm, I'm getting a little too far. I, I need to get back where I belong. But without the Word of God, you, you will think you belong where you're at. And wherever you're at, is where you belong. But the Word of God is being true north has to pull you back. No, no, you belong over here. Amen? Because there's consequences. Um, they may seem to get by with scuttling God's principles, but when you leave the Word of God, it will catch up to you. Uh, Galatians 6, 7 in, in today's English version reads like this. Do not deceive yourself. No one makes a fool of God. And the New Living Translation, I like the way they write it there. It says, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequence of decay and death. But those who, who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. See, when you're desperate... In our desperation, we may say, God will understand my fr frustration and not hold me accountable. 
That's how you can justify doing what you shouldn't do. Well, or, or well, I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do it anyway. Now you're getting a little more huff, tougher. Or it gets worse, I don't care if I go to hell. It's hell living in my situation right now. All of a sudden the mind begins to talk to itself and deceive itself, right? And, and it pulls you further and further and further. Huh? So no matter how we do it, if we kick over God's principle, it will come back to bite us. Abram and Sarah, so faithful in their lives to this point, are now scheming according to the flesh and not according to the faith. They've been around a while. Abraham had experienced things. He was called from the land of the Chaldeans by faith, and he believed God. And, and, and the Bible said, because God, but rather because Abram believed God, I counted him as righteousness just because he believed. He was, he was walking. He did everything God asked. And you would think, man, he's got it together now. He's probably in his 80s. He's got it. He's finally figured it out. But here he is at 80, getting desperate. See, this one decision will end up a disaster in the lives and in the lives of those who would come after them. Taking things into your own hands. So another thing that believers do that, that cause a lot of trouble is they listen to those who are unfamiliar with the Word of God. I've I, I seen time and time again where people will have a desperate situation and they, they talk to Aunt Lucy, who's never been to church a day in her life, and they want counsel. You go to a brother, you go to your, your cousin Harold, and Harold is a dope fiend, and you want to listen to him. What do you got to think? And you're asking for advice in a desperate situation to somebody who wouldn't know Jesus from Jack in the Box. Abraham, let's go back to the story here in 16 verse 2. Abraham agreed to do what Sarai said. So Sarai, Abraham's wife, took her Egyptian maid Hagar, not the underwear, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, as a wife. Abraham been living in 10 years in Canaan when this took place. He slept with Hagar and she got pregnant. When she learned she was pregnant, she looked down on her mistress. When Sarai learned that, the, when, when Sarah, uh, Hagar learned that she was pregnant, she looked down at Sarah. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. So what's wrong with, that's my next question, what's wrong with listening to the voice of my wife? Because over there, you always have that question. There's nothing wrong with listening to your wife if she understands God's will. If she doesn't understand God's will, don't listen. Amen? See, God had appeared to Abraham, if you read the story. He didn't appear to Sarah. When he left Ur, he appeared to Abraham. He spoke to Aram, Abraham. He left, he appeared to Abraham again, not Sarah, when he left Haran. In fact, on each occasion that God appeared to Abram, Sarai wasn't there. The appearance in chapter 15 when he made a land covenant and God promised a child from Abraham's own body. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a child from the body of your wife. I'm going to give it to you. Sarai wasn't there. So in essence, you really can't blame Sarah because she didn't hear it from the source. She supposedly heard it from her husband. So that's a couple of things. Either the husband wasn't too solid in his faith, or he wasn't detailed enough. 
But for whatever reason, the revelation was made solely to Abraham. So who knows the will of God clearly and who doesn't? Based on this story, Abraham knew. Sarah knew less. So people, spiritual people need to uh, look for spiritual advice. Uh, when we seek help in making decisions, we need to seek out mature believers. Believers who understand the vision. Leaders who know God's word firsthand. Because listen, you're going to have situations in your life that you're going to have to make a choice. Uh, you're going to have to know the Holy Spirit. A gentleman mentioned, and for appropriate, he was talking about how can those guys in the Old Testament have all these wives and still accomplish God's will? Right? How can they do that? And, and I go, see, you're, you're, you, that's what happens when, when you're trying to really interpret the Bible with not understanding who the author is. And the bottom line is, God has a plan. He's really not concerned with who you marry or who you don't marry. We're, that's our concern. Huh? We are concerned. He has a plan. Now, his hope is that you would marry the right one to help him along in his plan. But if you don't, there are 7 billion people on this planet. He will find one who will. So the object is we have to find out what his plan is and, find, and, and do everything we can, be it have wives, children, house, whatever, everything we can to align it with his plan. Because he is not as concerned with your, your relationship if you're not concerned with his plan. Ooh. See, everybody, see, we live in a world in a day and age where it is a man-centered gospel, as if God planned all this so that we could live a better life. Are you kidding me? That is so selfish and mind-boggling. Now, if we do God's will, we will live a better life. However, he didn't plan all this so that we could live better. He planned all this so that we would grab a hold of God, we get to know who the Holy Spirit, we would be obedient to his word, and we would fulfill his plan. So if God is calling you, you better get in line, Jack, because he doesn't need us. We need him. He doesn't need us. And if we don't get in line and do it, believe me. It's just, there's 350 Americans in here that he'll get somebody, and if they don't wake up in America, he'll jump to Latin America. If they don't wake up in Latin America, he'll jump to Asia, and there's like two billion chinos. He don't need us. So I count it a privilege that God would even consider to allow me to get in the game. See, he allows us all to get in the game, but some of us are so audacious, we think, well, if I got time, I'll think about it. Wow. That's why I said, do not be misled. God will not be mocked. We have to get in line. We have to find out where God is blessing and get there. Don't ask God to bless where I'm at. That is selfish. That is a man-centered gospel. God did not send his son, his only begotten son, just so that you would die and go to heaven. That wasn't his plan. He wanted to redeem man because he had a greater plan. He had something he needed to do. The plan. The purpose. Created in the foundations of the earth. That you had a love, a God who was love. And what good is love if love could, didn't have an object to share it with? 
But he didn't want a, a robot or some kind of animal, a dog who would come up and act to be pet. No, he wanted a human being, be a man or woman, who had the ability to tell God, no! Who had that ability to tell God, get out of my life! But chose not to do that. But chose to say, God, no, I freely submit. I will do what you ask, not because you make me, not because I have to, because I want to! That's his plan. But it's your option. He ain't going to make you. And so many think that God, Jesus, came so that I could live good. That is, man, you are so deceived if you think that. And that, that is the prevailing gospel message in the American church. But you go, over, you go, go to overseas where I've gone. That doesn't work there. There's no power there because you've left faith and you've walked into flesh. Just fulfill my desires. I want this. I want this. I need this. My name is Jimmy and gimme, gimme, gimme. We think that's the gospel? Hmm? No, the gospel really, no greater love is there when a man, when I'm talking about men, not God, I'm talking about you, when a man laid down his life for his brethren. That's that, that, you can wrap the gospel around that one. I'm going to come in for a landing. When you're looking for advice, don't look to the world. Spiritual people need spiritual advice. When we seek help in making decisions, we need to seek out mature believers. Believers who understand our vision. We have a vision. It was passed down. Huh? From, from, it actually goes from Nikki, from David Wilkerson to Nikki Cruz to Pastor Sonny to Pastor Steve to me. That's how it got here. The same vision hasn't changed. That's what we do. Reaching every inner city of the world. Why? Because the Bible instructs us, go ye. And the last time I looked at ye, it means you. Into all the world. Somehow, some way. It's not an option. It's a command. We call it the Great Commission. So it transfers, the Bible, the, the, the anointing transfers down. And you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Nikki came in and he spoke to us, like I said, right? And, and I was thinking, wow, this is heavy stuff. Because David led Nikki, Nikki led Pastor Sonny, Pastor Sonny led Steve, Pastor Steve, my, then Pastor Steve led me to the Lord, and here we are. We never know what's going to happen. So now I was thinking about Billy Graham, when I, sh I shared him earlier, the gospel. There's a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball. You'll never hear him in the history books other than I pulled it up for you. He was a Sunday school teacher, and he led a young boy by the name of Dwight L. Moody to Christ. Now, if you've been in Christianity a little while, you might have heard of Moody. Well, Dwight L. Moody was led to the Lord by this Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. J. Wilbur Chapman, another 
evangelist was converted at a Dwight L. Moody evangelistic meeting. Well, Billy Sunday was converted at a Chapman meeting. Do you see the connection? If you move on, then after that, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham was converted at a Billy Sunday meeting. Years later, in 1934, a long time ago, Billy Graham was converted at a Mordecai Ham convention. See, that's part of the plan. That was why God died. So that, that a Sunday school teacher would teach to whatever children were there and something, you never know what's going to happen. But what, what, what deters all of us, all of us, is the world, the system, or yourself. You put yourself in desperate situations and you make desperate decisions and you get yourself off track to the plan that God has. It is not that complicated. We complicate it. Thus we have Billy Graham who led millions to the Lord. Why? Because there was this one Sunday school teacher, just like we have our children's church. Oh, so insignificant. Oh, no, it's not. That's the plan. You know how hard it is to get children's church workers? Because they don't want to get into the plan. They just want to get the blessings. They just want to get all this other stuff. They, they, they don't want to go to hell, that's for sure. You got to get in the plan. Oh, let me say it again. You got to get in the plan. We have a vision to reach the world, but you got to get in the plan. Don't allow desperate situations to make you get you off kiltered. The plan has not changed. For 2,000 years, it has not changed. What has changed? Man. Two types of people seek out advice from desperate, when desperate. And thinking of leaving God's will. The weak believer and those who do not know God at all. They get desperate. They start looking for ways out, so they, they look to the world. I've, I, I even know people that had a call in life. And rather than answer the call, they would sabotage their call by getting loaded. I've seen that dozens of times. As if they think the call leaves away when you get loaded. No, it just makes life more miserable. That's all it does. But the call of God... Is the call of God. I don't care how many times you get high. If God calls you, you're going to just be miserable until you answer it. Uh, better answer it. Ring, ding dong. See, people in this condition seek advice from those who tell them what they want to hear. Mm -mm. There's one way. I'm, I'm going to end with this, I promise. There's one way, well, almost. There's one way to make an enemy is to give biblical advice to such a person. You want somebody to get mad at you? Give them, some, give them biblical advice and they'll get mad at you. Because they, they came to you because you're, you're, you're their friend. They came to you because you understand them. They came to the, you. They didn't come to you to have biblical advice. If I wanted biblical advice, I'd call Pastor Al. I want you to make me feel good in my sin. You know I love her. Well, you might love her, but you're still a dirty dog sinner if you don't get married. But you know how it's true love. We're, what do they call that stuff? That's a bunch of malarkey when they're together for a long time? Uh, uh, common law wife. What the heck is that? Common law wife. Get common law wife. That's common law sin. 
That's common law of fornication. Common law. You better get married if you're common law. You ain't that common. But popular culture will always tell you that it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead, sin. You're like the Isaac brothers. It's your thing. Do what you want to do. I can't tell you, hey, who the soccer to. No, man, give me a break. It ain't your, that's, that's sin. And, and, and no matter how hard it is, we have to say no to sin and yes to God. And you, you learn to say no to sin when things are going well. Because if you don't learn to say no to sin when things are going well, when you're desperate, it'll take you down so quick, quicker than an MMA, you'll be tapping out. You better learn. That's what discipleship is all about. Let's go to discipleship class. Should be filled because we should get stronger. No, that's the smallest class we have. Why? Because people don't want to hear it. They want to sin. The Bible says, huh, that the sin is pleasurable for a season. Huh. Psalms 1 1. I want a piano player. Come on, come on up there. This is it, my last scripture. It says this, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of wicked. How blessed is the man. See, if you want counsel, you go to a, a strong believer, but you, you keep your word of God next to you. You keep it tight. You confirm it. And you, you look at that strong believer and you find out how strong they are. Just because they've been saved, I've been, I've been saved, I knew Jesus, known Jesus for 20 years. That means nothing. You got to find them. What have they done for 20 years? Because most people, what do I say? They have not been saved 20 years. They've been saved one year 20 times. Because they never grow, they never get involved, they never get disciples. But they're in church faithful. Ooh, faithful, faithful. There's faithful Sally. Look, she's coming again. Ooh, I love that little girl. She keeps coming, coming. But it's 20, one year, 20 times. They never get deeper. They never start studying. They never start evangelizing. They never start moving. Why? Because, oh, no, that's not for me. That's for the minister. That's a lie. That's the devil. It is for you. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. So don't, don't, don't get saved uh, uh, 20 times. Get saved once and start getting your giddy up on. Do something. So when you're getting counsel from somebody who's been around a while, find out how, if, it, if it's been 20 years straight or one year 20 times. If it's one year 20 times, ah, don't use that one. They'll teach you how to not be involved. They'll teach you how to not find the anointing. They'll teach you how to not to fast. They'll teach you how not to pray. Got to find the good ones. Paul's talking to his young Padawan, his disciple, Timothy. There in chapter 3, he said, deacons likewise... Talk about leaders. Deacon means leaders. Leaders are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. And I like this part, verse 10. They must first be tested. And then, ooh, and then, if, big if, and then, if there's nothing against them, let them serve as leaders. So they have to be tested. Huh? That's why when I look at young people coming in, I say, I can't wait for the test. 
Because all this other stuff is just a preparation for the test. It's not you have, you, you, if you want to. No, you must be tested. You have to be tested. You have to have that struggle with God. You have to have that struggle with self. You have to be, and you have to come out of that test. And if you pass the test, then you talk to that person. But you're going to have to. I, that's why I always say, I don't trust a man or a woman in the spirit without a limp. I, I want to see them all beat up. I'm looking at them, wow, how long have they been saved? Who? Yeah, They've been involved in what? They've been doing what? Ooh. And you look in the spirit, they're all jacked up. They've got scars, bruises. Huh? They walk with their hip because they've been wrestling with God, and God had to pop their hip out of socket. You better get back in line. Okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They're like that. That's the one I want. I don't want this new shiny little, little shiny sissy servant. I want one that's all beat up. That's gotten slapped around by the devil every now and then. Huh? That got slapped around by the Holy Spirit every now and then. That's got, that got dents on his armor. Huh? Got dirt and mud. That's the one I want. Why? Because you have to be tested. And if you're tested, now you trust that person. Any, anybody other than that, don't trust them. You find, you find one all dent up with the limp. See, Abraham, Abram chose the sin. Sarah just followed her own nature. It wasn't her fault. She's a woman. She wanted a child. Women are supposed to want children. It was Abraham who knew, who talked with God, who got the promise from God, who's who seen the miracles of God, who's seen everything that God had to offer. And yet, in times of desperation, even Abraham fell victim to the flesh. So who's to blame? The man. See, he didn't simply refuse what she suggested, and he didn't remind her of what God had promised. It was not even a debate. He said, why, sure, honey, whatever you say. Faith or flesh? And believe me, I can imagine Abraham, all old and shriveled up, looking at this pretty young girl. God just let the door. Excuse me, God, but I'm going to get busy right now. That flesh monster. It just came out of Father Abraham. Uh, so don't think any of us are, uh, are, are, can, can just say, oh, that'll never happen to me. If you believe that, you're next. That can happen to any one of us. I, I've seen better men, ten times better than me, fall. <sighs> Faith or flesh? You got to start working on your 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 preparedness when things are going well. Because if you don't, when things go bad, you're just another statistic. I pray that doesn't happen with us. It doesn't happen to happen. See, I, I, there's an old song. The Winans. I love this song. It's good to know you'll be there whenever I fall. But it's better to know. That I don't have to fall at all. See, you don't. We don't have to. God wants us to walk tall, 
wants to bless our lives, wants to give us his best, huh? his best for you and your purpose. That's all he intended. That's the plan. All we got to do is say, okay, God, I give you my life. Let's do this. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.